Thanks, guys. Yeah, I'm a... No, don't. I'm a, I'm a chili guy myself. Yeah, I'll just hold it up here just in case. Yeah. This one gave us... Mike gave us issues for service, so we'll see how this goes. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a soup guy myself. I'm what uh, my wife, Savannah, has termed a lazy eater. Uh, when it comes to food, if it's too much work for me to get it in my mouth, I'm not going to eat it. That's kind of it. Like soup, especially the like watery soup, it's just, I don't want spoonfuls of broth. Like, that's, you're not eating, whatever. <laughs> I'm lazy when it comes to eating. So, like, crab legs, not doing that stuff. It's too much work. It's too much work for the amount of food that I'm consuming. So I'm a chili guy, looking forward to the chili cook-off, or the soup night, for the chili aspect of it, because it's super good. And I just want to reiterate again the uh, impact profile. That is our uh, way of organizing and uh, mobilizing all of us to help within the body of Christ especially, uh, and the broader community at some times as well. So go on there, check the boxes of some of the categories and things that you'd be willing to do, like make meals or help, like light, can, light yard work, stuff like that, uh, things that you'd be willing to help out with when the time comes. It's not that you're signing up for everything that comes up and that we need to do. You will, of course, have the opportunity to say, oh, I can't on this one, I'm sorry, that's fine, but just so you're in the know. Because I hear often from people how... They're asking, how can I help? Like, I want to help. And it speaks a lot to like, your commitment to helping and to being a part of the community and to doing what you can. This is just kind of our way of, after hearing that so many times and being like, oh, when I hear of something, I'll tell you. It's our way of kind of organizing that so that when things come up, you can be there to help. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon, shall we? Lord, God, we praise your name. We glorify you. Thank you for bringing us together, for this community that we have here, the opportunity to worship you together in community, and to bring you glory and honor. Lord, would you just move in our midst, move in our hearts, stir us through your word to draw closer to Christ, Lord, to experience your rest, and Father, to be disciples of you, Jesus, who follow your way first and foremost. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, our new campaign is called The Third Way. So what we do is we break up our calendar year into four, actually it's five with Christmas, uh, five campaigns. So they end up being between 10 and 13 weeks apiece uh, for the most part. And this one is called The Third Way. Our culture is becoming noticeably uh, increasingly polarized, right? I don't think I need a lot of data. I think, the, <laughs> I think our experience kind of reveals this to be true. And what that means is that people are moving further and further to the extremes. More and more people are moving to the extremes. Few and fewer people are kind of in the middle ground when it comes to most social, cultural issues that we're facing in our world today. Uh, when I thought of this, I, I think it kind of feels like we're a piece of metal in between two magnets. When it comes to political, social issues, we're constantly just being drawn one way or another. And as you get closer to one direction, then you're pulled even stronger into that direction and more firmly seated into that camp. We're pulled between political ideologies, like Republican or Democrat. We're pulled between being conservative or liberal, pro this and anti that. And for many of us, it's exhausting. It's stressful. And the question is, is there a better way to live? 
in this polarized atmosphere? I think for followers of Christ, there is. And what we're calling it is the third way, the way of Jesus. Instead of feeling as if we have to follow one camp or another and take that whole ideology wholesale, we can follow the way of Jesus. And if the way of Jesus is supreme in our life and all of the other ideologies and ways of thinking and cultural values are secondary, are subordinated to the way of Jesus, we can find rest, even in the midst of polarized animosity in our culture. Here's our big idea, really, for the entire campaign. Uh, this is not just for today, for the entire campaign. For, for Christians, our way of life and our thinking must first be informed by Jesus. Must first be informed by Jesus. It is priority. That means the way of Jesus reigns supreme. And all of the other ideologies and ways of our culture are subordinated to the way of Jesus. Not that we won't find alignment with some ways of thinking and philosophies in many cases, but the way of Jesus must be supreme. That means we follow his teaching, and that means we follow the way that he lived. So his character, the actions that we see Jesus doing, his way of life, like, like withdrawn return, I call it. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. When was the last time we went to a lonely place to pray and to be alone for an extended period of time? When we're following the way of Jesus, that means following his teaching, but also following his way of life. Now, as I wrote this up, I was like, man, nobody's going to disagree with this, right? <laughs> Who disagrees? If you're a Christian, you're not going to disagree with this. You're not going to push back on this. You're not going to challenge the idea here. But I think for so many of us, this is our value, that this is what we, th we, we think we are doing, and this is what we hold true. But then as you get into the world and as you get into your weekly routine, by Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, you have been so inundated with messages, with marketing, with those political text messages that, oh my gosh, they're insane, right? With the ads that you're watching during a football game of of people slandering each other and just the awful stuff. It's just like you feel yuck and you just get beat down and kind of dragged one direction or another. And it's not intentional. It's not intentional, but it happens subtly and slowly. One way I think of it is, uh, well, let me say this first. We are not, we have to recognize this first, that we are not just objective, innocent bystanders in this. Okay? We are pulled into this polarization and into this ideology and way of living by many factors, not the least of which is our sinful nature. We want to be pulled one way or another so that we can then demonize and hate the other. There's something in us that craves that, that desires that, if you're honest with yourself, right? So it's our, in our own sinful nature. But not only that, it's, it's the culture, <laughs> The culture is pulling us in this direction as well because these ideologies, these camps want you on board with them and fully devoted to them, right? And then lastly, Satan and his demons are pulling us in this direction and tempting us in this way as well. Okay, so we are not just innocent, objective bystanders who can see this clearly. We have to recognize that first and foremost, that there's a lot of forces pulling us away from the way of Jesus, away from his way being our primary ideology. 
And that forces us away from it. Because if we're honest with ourselves, when we, the way of Jesus is the way of like loving your enemies. Who wants to do that? Right? <laughs> like innately within yourself. We all agree it's a good virtue and a cool thing to aspire to, but like we don't want to do that, right? I, I even had to take a few years off of playing basketball because I found it difficult for me to love my basketball opponent. And it's a game, right? I would get so into it that, yeah, whatever. Football season's coming up, and it's tough. It gets hard for me to love Packers fans. And all of you are wearing your Packers gear just to get me, and it gets me a little bit, all right? This is me sitting on my couch ranting a little bit, okay? But no, like this competition and this, like my camp against your camp, it's so strong in our culture, and there's so many things pulling us in that direction. But the way of Jesus is to love our enemies, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. Do we really take seriously Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount? This, this week in the devotional, I'm going to ask you to read through the Sermon on the Mount and keep running in the back of your mind like our political landscape and our culture war landscape. And say, how, how does this relate to that? And which one am I following more closely? Because Jesus says things like, blessed are the meek. Do we really believe that meekness is an indication of the blessed life? Jesus says things like, don't worry about tomorrow, but seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Do we really, do, do we really believe that? In our culture of worry and anxiety and fear, like, do we as Christians really believe that? There's this national evangelistic campaign that it's called He Gets Us. You may see even some of their ads on, on TV. They'll probably play into in the football game. You may see some on social media and stuff. It's this huge evangelistic campaign. And they did a ton of research before they started this campaign. And they did research to see, like, what people who are skeptical to the faith of uh, Christianity, they asked them a bunch of questions about Jesus, about Christians, about Christian doctrine, all that stuff. And what they found is that people who are skeptical to the faith are very pro-Jesus. <laughs> They're very open to the way of Jesus, but very anti-Christians and anti-a lot of Christian doctrines. They have very negative connotations about those things, but when you talk about Jesus, then... They're very pro-positive connotations about Jesus. On their homepage, they say, He Gets Us aims to free the name of Jesus from those who use it to judge, harm, and divide. It's a pretty strong statement, right? That the campaign is meant to free the name of Jesus from those who would misuse his name to judge, harm, and divide. And that's like their slogan. <laughs> so, what they're doing is appealing to what... People who are skeptical to the faith have said that the name of Jesus has very positive connotations, but Christians and some of the other things that they see in Christian doctrine and the culture, there's very negative connotations. A Christianity Today article written on it says, unfortunately, some skeptics have no desire to be in conversation with Christians because they see Christianity as a religion of judgment and hypocrisy. In their minds, Christians are not living out the values of the Savior they purport to follow. And while skeptics agree that Jesus' teachings are positive for society as a whole, and that the world would be better if we all lived out the principles 
of the gospel message, they don't see Christians practicing what they preach. What benefit is there to a faith that doesn't actually change the lives of the people who claim that faith? That last question is a bit haunting. And to be clear, if, you're a, <laughs> if you tend to be an inquisitive person in general, you read this and you say, well, that's their perspective, right? And all of that stuff aside, that their perspectives may be flawed from one bad encounter with a Christian or they don't really know what Jesus actually teaches, right? <laughs> which is all very possible and probable on some level. All of that stuff aside, bottom line is that they haven't had interactions with Christians that suggest to them that they actually believe the way that Jesus taught. Or what they see from Christians in the general public is not the way of Jesus, at least the way of Jesus as they understand it, right? But some other way. So there's a disconnect there. There's a disconnect between what we believe and value and the way that we actually live. On some level, that's obviously true. We're all hypocrites to some degree, right? <laughs> but the goal of the Christian life is to move our life closer to the way of Jesus, to think the way he thought and to live the way he lived. And so we should be aspiring to that. And that means even humbly being able to confess that, yes, I am a hypocrite. <laughs> and how many times, how would that change a person who's skeptical to the faith, how would that change their interaction with Christ and the way of Christ? If Christians were willing to say, yeah, sometimes I don't live up to the things that I profess I do, but I'm trying to do better. It's a different, it's a different posture, right? Andy Stanley, he said it in a sermon at one point, and I don't, I don't have the exact quote because I heard it in the sermon, but he said, skeptics aren't just wondering if they believe what Christians believe. He says, they're wondering if Christians actually believe what Christians believe. So that's kind of our question today. Is do we actually believe what we say to believe? Enough that it changes our life. What benefit is there to a faith that doesn't actually change the lives of people who claim that faith? Is our life looking more and more like the way of Jesus or not? Brian Zond, a pastor, I saw this quote on Twitter yesterday from him. See, Twitter is good for some things. I trash it a lot, and it's good for things here and there. He said this, uh, if you follow an ideology, conservatism, progressivism, whateverism, you may be in the way of truth now and then, perhaps even often, but this is not the same thing as following Jesus. At some point, you will have to choose between following your ideology and following Jesus. At some point, there will come into conflict the way of another ideology that you are following and the way of Jesus. And the question is, when that conflict hits, which way will you choose? Will you go the way of Jesus or will you follow the other ideology? And the key is knowing the way of Jesus so well that when those conflicts arise, you can identify it and follow the way of Christ. So that's what our campaign is largely going to be about. It's following the third way of Jesus, committing to following his way first and foremost, and subordinating all of the other ideologies that we adhere to. And as I was thinking about this, the first step, I think, for us is... And following the way of Jesus isn't just following another ideology. 
It's not just following a philosophy on life or an ethic. Of course, it is those things, but it is not those things first. First, it is following a person. It is relationship. It is Jesus, first and foremost. Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So yes, Jesus gave us a lot of commands and imperatives, ethics, ways to live, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, right? But what comes first is love for Jesus, relationship with Jesus, abiding in Jesus. If we have that first, then following the imperatives and the commands of Jesus is what we long for and desire because we are experiencing relationship with Jesus, the one who is so good and who loves us so much. And we see this throughout the Gospels. Throughout the Gospels, we don't see Jesus calling his disciples just to a philosophy or a way of life, which was common for teachers and rabbis in his day. What they would do is come along and say, hey, here's my new interpretation of the Torah. Follow this. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, that, that was what they did. They said, here's how to follow the Torah better. The Old Testament law of Moses. And it was a way of doing that. Jesus comes along and he says things like, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Don't come follow this new ideology that I have or this new way of interpreting the Torah necessarily. He even says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said and then quotes an interpretation of the Torah. And he says, but I say to you, and the question lingering in the back of everybody's mind is like, who are you <laughs> to reinterpret this stuff for us? To which, as they come to find, as they follow Jesus, oh, he's God. He's the second person of the Trinity who has the authority to teach the Torah right. Jesus says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Bold statement, Right? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. That you don't experience resurrection life by adhering to the Torah. You experience it by abiding in Christ, by knowing Christ and Christ knowing you. Those statements lead us to the conclusion that Jesus was either the most arrogant narcissist in the history of the world, or he's right. <laughs> Who says things like, I am the way to God? He's either God, and he is true, truly the way to God, or he's an arrogant narcissist, or he's crazy. As C.S. Lewis said, which I think is just so profound, stop with the patronizing nonsense that he was just a good teacher. <laughs> he didn't leave that option open to us. He didn't. Stuff that he taught was just so, so out there that it's either true or again, he's crazy, or just arrogant. There's no fourth option. Because Jesus says things like this. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And <clears throat> one that I could preach on every week. So, <laughs> I love this. Again, Jesus doesn't call his disciples just to a way of viewing the world. He calls his disciples to himself. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Again, Jesus doesn't say, come and follow this ideology. He says, come to me. Have a relationship with me. Abide in me. When he refers to people being weary and burdened and the yoke, what he's referring to is the yoke of the law. And how the law is such a heavy burden on people. Trying to be made right with God by following rules is exhausting. (laughs) It's a burden that you cannot bear. It's heavy and it will wear you down. And we must remember that the law of Moses It wasn't just a religious ceremonial law. It wasn't just relegated to your religious sphere of life and your church life and how you worship God. The law of Moses was all-encompassing. It was their social code, their social laws, and it was their moral code of how they were to follow God as well, as well as their religious laws. It was everything. And all of Jesus' hearers likely adhered to one of those three uh, ways of interpreting the Torah and following the law of Moses that I mentioned earlier. Pharisees, Sadducees, or the Essenes. So that was their way. That was their way. And pretty quickly, as they followed Jesus, and as he says here, came to him, they're realizing, okay, the way of Jesus is diverging from these ways. (laughs) The Pharisees don't like him. (laughs) Nobody else likes him. And Jesus is constantly butting heads with them. So which way are we going to choose? Are we going to follow the path uh, that we have grown up with and known all of our life? The way of the Pharisees, most likely. That was the most common one of the day. Or are we going to keep following this guy and see what he has to say? And they continued to follow Jesus. Jesus promises them, he says, in the midst of your burden of trying to carry this heavy yoke of the law, I will give you rest. Now, when he says rest in this culture, (laughs) it's, he's tapping into their concept from the Hebrew Bible of shalom. This concept is more than just like sleeping on the couch on a lazy, rainy Sunday afternoon. (laughs) It means rest. You guys are like, I kind of want to take a nap now. That's a bad idea when I'm preaching. I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) but it refers to everything in its rightful order. It refers to your relationship with God is in its right order, which Jesus does by dying on the cross and taking our sin upon himself. And so when our faith and trust is in him, then we are justified and made right before God. So we, we can rest in our relationship with God. We have peace in our relationship with God. It refers to our rest in our relationships with one another that there's wholeness, there's peace, there's no longer animosity between us. There's no more divisions. And it refers to our relationship with creation has been restored as well, that there is peace. And that's why as Christians, we should care for that. And ultimately, Jesus, when he comes again, will remake all of creation and restore it all. So it's this big cosmic concept of rest that he's referring to. And this is deep soul Rest, as he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
And again, I gotta clear up all the miscommunications we tend to have with this verse. Soul doesn't mean just the ghost in the machine that goes to lives on when you die. What he's referring to here is this deep part of your inner life. This part that coordinates all the whole of you. It often refers to the whole person as your soul. There's harmony in your soul when you come to Jesus. Jesus integrates all the different aspects of your inner life. Your soul is at rest when it is surrendered to the will of God. When your deepest desire is to do God's will, you can find rest for your soul. Our mind is transformed when we come to know the truth that Jesus taught and believe it and follow it. And our actions, we begin to act in accordance with the truth that Jesus has taught us. So everything kind of filters and circles around the way of Jesus. And then finally, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. And so coming to Jesus should not be a fearful thing for us. When we follow any other ideology, there's something in the back of our mind that says, is this person trying to manipulate me? Or is this ideology trying to manipulate me? Do they really have my best interest in mind or do they have their own self-interest in mind? Are they just trying to gain power and control and they need me to do it? We don't have to worry about that with Jesus. Because Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. Because Jesus has already given all of his life for us. There's nothing more for him to give, correct? He has given everything for us. And so we should not fear to surrender all of our life to him. Because he has already proven that he has our best interest at heart. And this also doesn't mean that everything in life will come easy for you. <laughs> it doesn't mean that the chaos will all subside and challenges won't come your way and you'll have perfect health and wealth and everything you desire. It doesn't mean that. What it means is in the midst of the chaos and the struggle of life, you can experience rest for your soul. This is an inner life thing, not just an external environment thing. <clears throat> Band, you guys can come and get set up. Our big idea for today is following Jesus is way better. <laughs> it's way better. I debated how to write this phrase. Uh, I wanted to say following Jesus' way is better. See what I did there? A little clever play on words now. <laughs> but what I want to emphasize to you more is the supremacy of the way of Jesus over and against every other ideology. What we're going to do throughout this campaign is kind of look at, look at some of the specific ways in which following the way of Jesus is better and how that forms our inner life more into the image of Christ. Following the Sermon on the Mount is better. And I want to start here with just, as you focus more and more on Jesus and the way of Jesus, as you read about him in scripture, as you spend time with him in prayer, as you commune with him together with one another, as we see on the faces of one another the image of Christ on display, God's glory on display with one another, as we experience all of that, the way of Jesus just becomes so much greater. As we experience true rest for our souls, 
as we even get a taste or a glimpse of it, we can look back at the other ideologies that had so pulled us away from the way of Jesus and we can say, this is better. I desire this more. Why would I ever chase after those other things or those other ways? Why would I ever try to just root myself in one ideology or another at the expense of the way of Jesus in certain ways? Why? Jesus' way is so much better. It is so much better. So what I want to do is just stir in us a longing for the way of Christ so that the other way is just pale in comparison to it because Jesus just looks so glorious and so awesome and so amazing to us in our walk with him day by day. Let's pray. Lord, God, we confess that so often we are just drawn towards these other ways. Lord, would you stir something in us that Jesus makes you look so glorious and so awesome. Spirit of God, would you give us a longing for you, for your way, for your kingdom, to live according to the principles of the Sermon on the Mount because we are in you, Jesus. We have experienced your humility, your gentleness, your kindness, your goodness, your love for us. And so, Lord, we can trust you that you really know what's best for us. And we can commit fully to following your way. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing praises to our Savior. If you need prayer, the prayer team is in the back and they would love to pray with you. Lord, we, as we are just singing, we confess that you are supreme. That you are king of all creation. And so, Lord, we desire to bring your name glory and honor. Lord, we want to follow your way above all else. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, for your power, for your love and your compassion. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in us that empowers us and enables us to live this way despite so many other forces pulling us in opposite directions. Lord, would you strengthen your people? Would you give us clarity of vision to see your way through the weeds? To hear your voice calling us and to follow you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments while we apply the text. <clears throat> Again, our big idea is following Jesus is way better. <laughs> I almost said that in a really cheesy, I almost said way in a really cheesy way. <laughs> Whew, so dumb. And... Following Jesus is way better. I want you guys to just believe that, to trust that, to try it. If you haven't ever tried it yet, experiment, experiment with it. Go for it. Try it. Like, know the way of Jesus so much. Read the Sermon on the Mount and give it a shot and see what it does for your life. See what it does for your soul. Do you experience more rest or not? Go for it. Because a lot of the other ways that our culture is pulling us towards, which politics and the uh, 
culture war, the social stuff that's all around us all the time. It's, a, it's an easy example, okay? It's an easy target. It's the one that's front and center in our face all the time, so I'm going to use that as an example often. Following that way just leads to strife, leads to slander, polarization, rage, anger. don't think I've ever heard anybody say, you know, I got really into politics this year. I started reading a bunch and watching a bunch of cable news. And you know what? My soul is really at rest. Have you heard anybody say that before? <laughs> no, I get exactly the opposite. I've had so many conversations over the last few months with folks who are like, man, I'm just, as I watch the news, as I think about this social issue or this social issue, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm terrified of global news, of stuff that's happening locally. And I love the opportunity to sit in those conversations and say, let's think about Jesus. <laughs> let's think about what Jesus promises. And when he returns and the new creation, let's, let's think about the end and how Jesus is going to win. And then at the end of it, we can say, it's not so bad. You're okay. We'll be okay. No matter what happens at the outcome. Remember, this promise isn't that life is going to be easy for you. It's not that everything is going to come great and you can just sleep on a couch all day and have somebody feed you grapes. That's not it. That's not the picture. The picture is in the midst of the chaos and craziness, our inner life can have peace and rest. when we come to Jesus. I read this book last year. It's called The Burden is Light by John Tyson. He's a pastor out in New York. And obviously the title, The Burden is Light, is referring to the text that we read today and how Jesus promises that when we come to him, his burden is light. And his burden is light precisely because he's helping us carry it, right? A yoke is two things and Jesus is carrying it with us and for us, right? The burden is light. Following Jesus' way is light, and it gives us rest for our soul. And what he does, the chapter titles, which I'm going to put up here in just a moment, all the chapter titles are what happens to our inner life when we follow another way and what happens to our inner life when we follow the way of Christ. And when we follow the way of Christ, we can exchange the first for the second. And in doing so, we find rest. So here's the first list. <clears throat> We're following another way. It produces within us comparison. We compare ourselves to others and value and our ju judge our value on how we compare to uh, others. Competition. <laughs> Someone pointed out to me at the end of the first service that we're doing a, the soup competition. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know if that meant. It's lighthearted. It's friendly. It's fun. That's not what he's talking about, okay? If you go to this level of depravity in the soup competition, let's talk, all right? <laughs> we got issues, man. <laughs> but my chili. Um, <laughs> we constantly feel like we need to one-up somebody else, right? That leads to a distorted soul. Control. We have to control people. We have to control the way they think. We have to control what they do. And it leads us to do some pretty awful stuff. There are other ideologies in the world that just want to control you. And they'll do so by acquiring power in any, by any means necessary. Cursing. 
instead of blessing, which is the next one, not like swear words. He's talking about cursing. Like slander is what we would think of. Is just being, uh, yeah, yeah, you get it. Complacency. Judgment. Pride and distraction. Now, the, again, it's an easy target. Think of our political uh, discourse today. It's a lot of those. <laughs> a lot of these characterize our political discourse. Comparison, competition, control, cursing, slander, judgment, pride. We see those way more in our political and social landscape. And then generally in our culture, we see complacency of so many folks who just want to do something to change the world but don't know where to start or try to do so by tweeting something. And it's like, that's not, yeah. They're looking for a path. They're looking for something to, to lead them, some purpose to drive them. And then distraction. That's probably the biggest one in our culture today is just we distract ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We don't even know we're doing it, but we don't have any deep thoughts. We don't have time to sit with God because every quiet moment we get, we fill with noise, whether it's our phone or the TV or just whatever. We don't, we don't ever sit and just be with God and reflect on the deeper things of our inner life and our soul and Christ and all of the stuff that we need to do. We're so distracted. So before I put the next ones up on the board, just... <laughs> Reflect on what the things you choose to spend your time on, things you choose to watch, news that you listen to, are they producing in you these? Does your life look more like this right now? Do those ring a bell <laughs> to you? That's a good question to keep in the back of our mind is what is the things that I'm doing, the things I'm watching, listening to, podcasts I'm listening to, media I'm consuming, what is it producing within me? Is it producing this? Or is it producing something like this? Instead of comparison, we can know what God has called us to so we don't have to feel like we're comparing ourselves to others and our identity is rooted in our comparison to somebody else. No, God has called you. You can find peace in that to do what he's called you to. Instead of competition, we can have compassion, even for people that we disagree with, even for people on the opposite end of the political spectrum, we can have compassion and kindness. Instead of control, instead of trying to control the way people think and the things that people do, we can surrender to God. Guys, I cannot tell you <laughs> how when I'm doing well, that simple concept is such a burden off of your shoulders. You don't have to control what your brother-in-law says at Thanksgiving. Whew. You don't have to convince him of what's obviously true. <laughs> you don't have to control that person's behavior that you just don't understand why they don't behave appropriately. You can surrender to the will of God and his work in their life. That is a burden off of your shoulder. Instead of cursing others and slandering them, you are free to bless them, <laughs> to pronounce God's blessings over them. Try that for a while. 
to speak blessings over people, even people that you don't like, <laughs> even people that you just grind your gears. You can pronounce blessings over them. Instead of complacency, you can have passion for what God has called you to do and live a life of purpose and meaning. Instead of judgment for those who disagree with you, you can have mercy because God shows mercy to all. <laughs> Causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, right? The sun rises on the just and the unjust. You can have humility like Jesus, who is kind and humble in heart. And that's another big burden off your shoulders when you don't feel, think too much of yourself. <laughs> and you can be okay with being humiliated sometimes and being wrong. It's all right. Instead of distraction, you can be present with people when you're following the way of Jesus because you value and you cherish the person that's sitting across from you. <clears throat> this, when we follow the way of Jesus, produces these things within you. And so we ask ourselves, what, the things that we're consuming, the things that we're doing with our time, what is it producing in us? Is it producing more of the things on the right or the things on the left? And if it's producing more of the things on the left, perhaps you are following an ideology or a way that is not the way of Jesus, and you've given that too much power and control in your life. Secondly, I'd invite you to ask yourself, which one do I want? It's another important question, because if we're honest with ourselves, and we look at this, and we say, you know what, I want to control people. I want to. <laughs> Again, there are forces at work in you that are much deeper than just you're being an innocent bystander in these things. I want to be complacent. I want to be lazy. I want to be distracted. I want to be proud. And again, if you find in yourself that, <laughs> which you're going to need to sit and think about for a while, if you find that you desire those things more, then you need to go back to Jesus. And Jesus' offer have come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because it's only in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit whom he gives us that we can begin to desire the things on the right. He produces this within us. Because those things on the right and the Sermon on the Mount, they don't come naturally to you. Meekness won't come natural to you. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. You can desire those, and you can desire to grow in those more. And so Jesus' offer is the same to us. Come to me. If you find yourself looking more like the category on the left than the category on the right, come to Jesus. Set your eyes on Jesus. Because his is the way of rest. I invite you now to just like close your eyes and to just reflect for a moment and sit and just try to get this picture in your head of you actively following Jesus. So like when Peter, James, and John were first called by Jesus as they were out on the boat fishing and Jesus tells them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they left everything immediately and followed him. Imagine that being you. 
following close on the heels of Jesus. Wherever he goes, you go. When he speaks, you listen. There's other paths all around you. There's other ideologies. There's other roads that you can take, but you're sticking close on the heels of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are gentle and humble in heart. And so, Lord, we do not fear to follow you. We trust that your way is the best way for us to live. And, Lord, we want to follow your way wholeheartedly. So, Jesus, teach us. Teach us what is true. Teach us what is right and good. And Lord, give us eyes to see the ways in which the other ideologies that we ascribe to divert from yours. Give us passion and longing to follow you above all else. Spirit of God, would you stir in our hearts to remove our sinful nature that strives, that desires the way that is not yours, desires to hate, desires to curse and control. And Lord, would you give us protection? Would you protect us through your power? From the temptation of the enemy that would draw us into those polarized camps that are not your way. And Jesus, we thank you that you are trustworthy and faithful, that you give us rest. We trust that is true and we desire that. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.